How's it going, everyone? Anthony Taylor here from SMU Strategy. We're back. We actually recorded such a great interview um, as a dry run because I didn't press record. So we're going to do this. Let's try again. We're going to do this again. So, so much good information that's been marinating uh -huh. for the past little while. So Plus, uh, like, I tripped and stumbled over my words enough the first time that I would practice. try and get it. Practice yeah. makes perfect. So I got nervous. <laughs> Anthony Taylor here from SME Strategy, joined by Eric Termundi, and he just wrote the book, Rethink Work. It's not even out yet, so I'm... Great. Lucky enough to get a copy, and Eric was gracious enough to uh, host us this morning to to chat about culture, to talk about strategy, to talk about alignment. Eric, how are you? Doing well, man. Thank you. Had a couple weeks in Mexico uh, over the holidays. God, like this is dark for me. Like I'm like Fifty Shades darker, and there's no reference for anything else in there other than my tan. Got that. Uh, but feeling good to be back, back on the back on the on the road. Uh, both metaphorically and uh, literally uh, talking about the book, about speaking, working on the consulting side of things too, and just uh, ready to kick off 2017. Cool. So you've been around the world, really, yeah. speaking about culture, about the future of work. And um, so give us a little bit of background, yeah. who you are, what you do, and where'd you come from? Sure. Um, I, I'm founder of The Driver Group, which is an international consulting uh, group tech-based, uh, but about human resources, people, and culture. Uh, we built a tool that quantifies culture in the workplace, which gets a little bit uh, gets a little bit confusing until we understand it. And essentially what we're trying to do is really help organizations articulate the values, the experiences, the wants, and the needs of their people so that we can differentiate one organization from another. Uh, from, from the consulting over the past couple of years, that's taken me into more of a speaking arena as well. I signed with the National Speakers Bureau here in Canada about a year and a half ago now, and I've been traveling across the country, into the States, into Europe, uh, speaking about the future of work, uh, speaking about different generations in the workplace, and just having a lot of fun doing that. Um, it came to the point I was approached to, to write a book about some of the things that I was talking about, and uh, as, as, you had, as you've seen, Rethink Work will be hitting the shelves um, February 20th. So it's pre-order uh, on Amazon.ca right now, uh, and then we're getting into uh, Indigo, Chapters, Kohl's, uh, looking like the airports as well, and Amazon.com, CA, February 20th. Cool. So you can check that out, but you get a sneak preview right here. So um, so why don't you you know tell people a bit about the book and a bit about uh, the state of culture in the workplace. We have yeah. a lot of managers and leaders yeah. who are watching this, yeah. and they're saying, you know, we got culture going on, and we want to adapt it or optimize it, if you will. What can we do? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if we look at the current status of jobs right now, uh, 10 years shorter than it's ever been before, um, anxiety in the workplace and out of it is, is extremely high. I think that we, we've had like uh, the word like authenticity be a buzzword of 2016 just because there's so much storytelling, there's so much noise, there's such a lack of um, transparency, maybe, uh, authenticity, a lack of being real genuine mm -hmm. in, in the messaging that we're hearing. I mean, for example, 90% of the information on the internet right now has been put there in the last two years. Okay. You know, the amount of information on my iPhone 6 is about 300,000 times the amount of information that was on the Apollo 11 spacecraft. 300,000. I mean, we're entering, last year we entered what was called the Zettabyte era which is a thousand, 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 thousand megabytes. And to put that into context, that's about 250 billion DVDs worth of information that just went across last year. I should keep it on the USB draft. I saw it actually this morning, a USB stick with two terabytes of information. I mean, that's crazy stuff. What does this mean? What this means is that it's getting harder and harder to understand what the real experience of the job is. 
was what we're doing with, with Rethink Work, with the book, uh, with the speaking, and, and with the consultancy, is that when you look at a job description, it's not really a description of the job, right? It's a skills and requirements checklist. Do you have these skills? Do you have this experience? Do you have this education? But if you're an accounting firm, and the job descriptions read the same from, let's say, Ernst & Young to Accenture to EY to PwC, even to government, even to Starbucks, to Lululemon, pick an accounting job, the job descriptions will read the same. What's missing, though, is that an environment at company X, an accounting firm X, might be absolutely phenomenal for you, but might be toxic for me, even though the jobs that we're doing are the same. Yeah. So how do we then differentiate these jobs based on the people, based on the experience? And I think if we can rethink work, work can be something that we can do instead of something that we have to do, right? Where we can rehumanize the work experience and we can make it people first. Because if we can make it people first and we can optimize what that cultural experience is, knowing that a best culture universally doesn't exist, then I think that we can not only find harmony in the workplace, but we can live a happier life knowing that work is something we do more than anything else in the day. So uh, we talk about culture from a hiring perspective, yeah. but what are the benefits just all around by yeah. creating, a, I would say better culture, because there's no such thing as a better culture, but uh, a more optimized, optimized yeah. desired culture. Yeah, I mean, and I think a better culture does exist for you as an individual, but a better culture for us might not, because mm -hmm. you might be looking for different things. Or like an organization. That's right, that's right. So, I mean, just let's just think about it. If you've got an optimized culture in the workplace, if you've got an, an, or an organization or a workplace where the environment and the people are in synergy. I hate synergy. I hate that word. But they're optimized. They're they're uh, in equilibrium. Yeah. Let's just put the hand like like it's it's great. If that environment is great, if it's optimized, think that productivity will be better. Um, engagement will be higher. Happiness will be higher. Morale will be higher. Uh, collaboration will be higher. Teamwork will be higher. Uh, and just the overall state of the organization will be better. And the reason for that is because it simply has to be. If you're feeling happy at work, you're not feeling like you're driven into the ground, like you've got great performance management, like you've got great uh, leadership, uh, great mentorship, great feedback in the work that you're doing, what you're going to be doing then is be more relaxed at work. You'll have more capacity. You'll have a stronger sense of presence in doing the work that you're doing because you're going to feel valued. And if you do that, I mean, I can ask you, are you going to be leaving? No, chances are the grass isn't going to be green on the other side because you're not looking for the grass to be green. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's happening now is that we're seeing so much information out there, out there being in the job world. I mean, we can see on Twitter that Sweden is trying a six-hour workday. Mm -hmm. uh, sounds great until you realize that you're like, mm, you know, I actually like my job. And I like being here, and I like the community that I'm a part of. I've got a sense of belonging. I've got this tribe mentality where work is bigger than work where we've rethought work altogether, and knowing that the people that we're with, we can actually create a life with as well. Mm -hmm. Because again, work is something we do more than anything else in the day, more than we sleep, more than we're watching Netflix, more than we're playing sports, more than we're going downtown or out on the weekends. And so if we can enjoy that experience, and that culture is optimized, tenure goes down, or sorry, tenure goes up, costs go down, anxiety goes down, satisfaction goes up, engagement scores go up, and we can really create an environment that's thriving. Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about strategy and, and culture for yeah. us on the strategic planning side yeah, yeah. is getting that alignment, making sure everybody's going in the same place and making sure that the culture fosters, a word you used, engagement. Yeah. And so people are going to be more likely to not necessarily stay late, right. but do what needs to be done to move the team forward. That's right. Um, the other thing you mentioned was uh, like tenure. So yeah. can you talk a bit about like the cost benefits 
of yeah. having a strong culture and like having a, I should use the word optimized culture uh, for not only new hires, but existing hires, people that have been there for 10 years might be on the management team. With. But let's, let's put it this way. If we say conservatively that it costs $25,000 to recruit and train someone. Yeah. Now, I mean, I've, I've talked to a couple of engineering firms, uh, $250,000. Right. And so their analogy is that we drive a Toyota into the workshop, tune them up, and watch a Ferrari drive out 18 months later, right? Because they put so much money and time into these things, and then they leave because they've got that experience that they're supposed to have. But let's just say conservatively, if we have a $25,000 training and recruiting um, amount for each person, okay. I think it's I think it's gonna be more like 40. Anyways, and, and you've got a thousand-person organization. If you look at Calgary Economic Development statistics from 2015, 36% of the workforce are these millennial generation. And if you look at the average tenure across industry for these people, we're looking at like 18 to 24 months, right? So just less than two years. Okay. Now, if you run those numbers, 25,000 every year, you take half of 18 to 24. So let's just say, you know, 21. Sure. Uh, and multiply that by 36% of the workforce. And you've got 1,000 people in your company. It's a $7 million expense a year just to see these people turn over. I mean, that doesn't include the productivity. That doesn't include people who are being really good at their job. That doesn't include the goodwill and development of the brand and the organization and actually moving the needle forward instead of just trying to keep up. That's just the negative. That's just the negative stuff, right? I mean, that's the the lights on. That's the the training, uh, the recruiter. That's the desk space. That's the floor space. That's all of these things in time uh, that it costs to actually get these people into the workplace. And so having a good culture, not only will it take, obviously, the company further instead of just standing still trying to keep up with people, but you'll actually have a community that's doing really great work that can, instead of, I mean, one of the things that, that we say with the work that we're doing is that it's not so much a return on investment, but it's like a savings on investment. Mm-hmm. And then the return on the savings can be much greater because people are working to be that much better. So to distill that maybe a little bit, or at least what I heard was sure. you have the big costs on the back end of like hiring and retaining the people so that yep. you don't send out the people that you've invested in. Right. And then by creating a culture, you get all of the additional benefits, engagement, stronger workforce, like cross-pollination of ideas and things like that, and really just making a better place to work, which, you know, just drives performance. That's right. I mean, there's no there's no downside to it, too. And I think what we said before is that the, like a universal best culture like doesn't exist. If we understand what that optimized culture looks like, and we can really foster that and develop it to be as strong as it can be, then there's going to be a lot of people that are actually wanting that job that aren't going to be a good fit. But knowing that early, knowing being really proactive to this cultural process instead of being reactive to it and adjusting once people are already there, saves a ton of time and money. And don't think it's just for the organization as well. If you've got, you know, myself, who's coming into a job that looks really appealing because the job description was really glamorous and looked great, only to know that three months later, I'm not a good fit there. I mean, I just lost three months too, mm-hmm. right? As an individual. And it's not just about me. It's not just about millennials. It's not just about us. It's just about the well-being of people. Because it's a, stre- it's a stressful time trying to find a new job. It's a stressful time trying to learn and get in, you know, acquainted into a new environment. And if we can understand what those cultural components are before getting into it, I think we've got a better chance of finding happiness again through the work that we're doing if we know that cultural fit is there. And it's okay. Like, if you don't have the right match, that yeah. the analogy we used earlier was like going to a bar. Yeah. Bars all bars and restaurants all yeah. serve the same thing, yeah. but they have a different ambience. They yeah. have a different style. They have a different type of food, right. and you want to go the one that matches what you're looking for in life so you don't, like, walk in and then walk out. Let's just use money. that example. I mean, if you use... Let's just use 
bars in general. That's lounges, bars, pick one. And what you're gonna see is you're gonna have like great food, great drinks, great times, great people. <laughs> like that's the job description of a bar if you're gonna go there for an experience. What it doesn't really tell you is kind of what the ambiance is like, what the energy is like, what the apparel might be like, what the kind of people, what they do, what they're interested in, what those aligned kind of components are. That's a perfect analogy for the job description because if you need to be proficient in Word, if you need to have had like a university degree and you need to have three years of experience and this is the kind of like tactical thing you're gonna be doing, well that's great, but I mean, any corporate job, you're gonna need a lot of those things too. And so to differentiate that position from another, it's kind of like saying a bar is great because it's got music, people, and food. Mm. Interesting. Cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah, makes total sense. So um, we got you guys out there watching this, and you're saying, "Great, I understand fundamentally that I need to, that I have an opportunity yeah. to improve my culture, to work on my culture, to optimize my culture." What does that mean? Like, how do, how do you, how do we, start making changes to get to where we want to go? The the first thing is you have to understand what changes need to be made. Yeah. And from the experience I've had in the last three years, it's really important to, to say, I think, that change isn't this massive, scary, flip everything on its head thing. Change is just like, let's let's just have more like one-on-one -on -one conversation. Let's actually have performance management where we, instead of doing annual reviews, do something a little bit more quarterly, or even maybe twice a month, where it's just an informal check-in. Because when people can feel valued, when they can feel appreciated, when they can feel respected, they can do better work knowing that there's not this like looming thing that's hanging over their shoulders just waiting there, right? Yeah. And so when we look at cultural change and things we can do, understanding people, understanding the environment, understanding the landscape within the organization is really important. And so that's what we did with, with our diagnostic tool is we created an anonymous online survey that quantifies different cultural components that people can then, from the entire organization, fill out to understand what components are really strong and what could use little tweaks. Of course, the second thing is acting on that. Because the last thing that we want, and we see this all the time with engagement surveys, is there are great things that go out, the entire organization, call it 75% of them, fill it out, and it just sits on the shelf and collects dust for the rest of the year. There's no action plan, there's no accountability to get anything done, and a year later they're gonna wonder why the engagement scores haven't gone up. So what we love to do is we run this assessment, it's anonymous, takes six minutes, and when people are finished, um, we put an action plan in place. We hold accountability um, milestones where people can actually see that change being made. The employees feel incredibly empowered because their voices and opinions have been heard and leadership knows that the right changes are being done because that's what the people are looking for. Yeah. And if we can harmonize that, if we can optimize that experience, we know that we've created or, or molded a, a more optimized culture. Okay. So it, the, a diagnostic tool is obviously a diagnostic tool, so it gives you sort yeah, of like a gap, I mean, gap analysis to see where you're is. at. And I think... There, there's obviously for, for, for people who are listening who maybe don't have a budget, there's, there's certainly value of doing that internally. You know, a survey monkey, some sort of thing like that. The, the, the point of caution on that is that there's a lot, there's sometimes um, the, a lack of desire, need, want from the employees to not do something that they feel like their answers might be still deciphered or understood. Mm -hmm. Because if there's something wrong, people will feel resistant to give that feedback. Got it. And so what we've done is we've removed the whole process externally. We can calculate, we can be the data, give some results back, but there's physically, there's actually no way we can just, we can see who said what. I mean, we don't even get email addresses, we don't get names, so there's no way yeah. uh, we can understand who said what. And so if we can take that back and say, look, the accounting department, generally speaking, feels that they could use a little bit more mentorship in the work that they're doing, then it's so easy for senior leadership to be like, great, 
Now we know exactly what we can do. Now we know how to make an entire department a little bit happier. And it just means having a little bit more feedback, a little bit more communication. Got it. So in the actual tool, like there's anonymity, but then you can also tell by, like, I guess, department or, yeah. or segmentation in yeah, that way, so but still being anonymous. We, we never actually break it down to more than five people. So I guess in that, in, that, in that sense, if the accounting department was two people, we wouldn't be able to actually physically get into those numbers because our system blocks us out from doing that. Interesting. Okay. So um, let's say you're on the management team and uh-huh. you think everything's great. Yeah. But your employees aren't happy. Well, then like, you don't understand your employees. Okay. And I think that's a, a big problem that a lot of people are going to have too because, I mean, even as an employee, you might think that the experience is great, but your coworker and the people beside you just really aren't having a great time. And by understanding the, the landscape of the people in the organization, we can start to make some more educated decisions. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, like one of the things that I was explaining when we were talking about earlier yeah. was that for you, it's not anything is necessarily happening or not happening. Mm-hmm. It's just your perception of what is happening. It's like you're a glass half full right. person, but yeah. not really. It's, yeah. Is my team communicating? Right. Yes, but maybe they're not communicating up to my level. So we could still say we're communicating yeah. and 80% of the people feel communication's happening. But there's still 20% that doesn't have their version of community. I think it's really interesting you say that too because there are a lot of perceived problems in the workplace. My favorite one is the millennial problem, right? Okay. These, these younger people, they're, they're narcissistic, they job hop, they're not loyal, they live in their parents' basement, they watch Netflix, they can't work, you know? I think that's really funny when you look at uh, people within the organization who they, they, don't, they don't talk anymore, they just they, they, t- they text back and forth and they're on their company intranet with a person sitting in their cubicle and they're typing back and forth. We don't have any human-to-human conversation anymore. The performance management is, is stretched out. You know, the work days are, are a little bit longer. And I'm not saying let's cater to or or um, be nice on or easy easy on millennials. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that uh, it's not necessarily a millennial problem. It's some adaptation to the future of work and the, and the current status of communication that I think we're all getting used to. Okay. And uh, I think that if we can understand the landscape a little bit better, then we can get the most out of our people. Cool. So I definitely want to ask you about millennials and like the opportunity of millennials yeah. because some people might not necessarily be right there yet. Sure. But before that, I really want to ask you about your uh, thoughts on vision and mission yeah. and then how those uh, translate or tie in with, you know, execution and performance management. Yeah. Uh, man, I mean, I think mission, vision, value, MVV statements has kind of been something that we've really beat to death for the wrong reasons over the past, let's just say 10 years, and I'm just doing this based on my research. Um, what, what I will say is that these are really important, but not as optical statements, Yeah. as real drivers of the organization, because if we can be rock solid on the mission, the vision, and the values of the organization, more importantly, I would say even the values of the people within the organization, because we can see that alignment between organization and people, then recruiting and attracting talent to this organization based on those mission, vision, value statements will really keep people aligned and on the same track. If we can have people aligned and on the same track, it will actually, too, self-vet people when they're applying. Because so can I ask, just jump yeah. in, like, when you say that it's the vision is not just like a buzzword, it's really like here's where, driver, it's a, um, where we're going. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, because, I mean... I've seen major telecom companies and major oil and gas companies say that, you know, we value respect, we value like integrity, we value working hard. And it's like, oh, man, what? Yeah, they don't mean, they, they don't, don't mean they're empty statements. Yeah. You know, if, if we were to say that we value the smile on our customer's face every time we interact with someone, 
then that's something that we can work towards, right? And if that's true, then you value respect, you value treating people right, you value um, integrity, and you value all those empty words that are just kind of bumping people up in their statements. Now, if you could say that your vision is to impact 50 million people by 2022, uh, then that then they've got something to work for. Mm -hmm. And the, the mission is like, what's going to happen when that vision comes true? Yeah. End world hunger, whatever that might be. Now people can gravitate to that. They can be stuck, they, uh, they can gravitate to that. They know what they're working for in terms of metrics and they know that how they're going to do that is by what their values are to make that get incrementally closer to having that mission and vision come true. Yeah. So uh, going back to the vision, taking it not from a buzzword, to people that can be like, hey, yeah. this is where we're going. Yep. How do we get there? Yep. Do you have any uh, thoughts on how to like actually like pull that out yeah. and make that change happen? Yeah, I mean, getting as many people involved as possible. I mean, let's, let's be real. The people who are going to be making the decisions are the people at the top, are the people at the C-suite, are, are the executives of the company. And any millennial who's in that organization will agree, we understand, we get it, it's fine. You've got experience, you've got understanding, you've got context, it all makes sense. Now that said, if you can empower as many people in the organization to be a part of that process to inform the decision makers on a holistic idea of what the vision of the company is if the company doesn't have one then just think like you know a hundred hands on deck are going to be better than just the two of us you know sitting over a coffee or a beer trying to figure it out yeah now if we can synthesize that information and then take a hundred people's statements and drill it down into one and we ultimately decide on what that one is then we know that people have been heard, they feel respected, they feel valued, and they know that they're working towards a mission that they helped, or a vision that they helped contribute to. Yeah, and that'll help get alignment and buy-in and get... Pick all the great words. Get they're all there, words, yeah. you know? Yeah. Cool. So, uh, final question sure. uh, is how do companies, organizations, take advantage of, like, this millennial workforce? Man, I mean, depending on, on, on the newspapers you read, Again, you'll, you'll read generalizations or stereotypes of, of each extreme. Number one, they can't, they don't work. They, they have the inability to commit to anything long-term. And on the flip side, you'll see that these millennials are like workaholics. They don't leave. They are up and they're working at 2 a.m. And they're just nonstop. They don't have any work-life balance. It's all go, go, go. I think the, the thing is we have to understand what type of person we're looking for in our organization. Are we looking for the person that's going to check in at 9 o'clock and check out at 5 and leave their work at home? Or are we looking for that person who wants to build something so much bigger with their organization? And the truth is, there's no right or wrong. These are just people. Yeah. And to be clear, these people are no different than any other generation before. So understanding what kind of person you're looking for, understanding how they're going to fit, and who's already in our organization, we can really get a lot out of the people that we're trying to bring on by understanding who they are and understanding, more importantly, perhaps, who we are. And I think that's one of the big things that's missing, and that's the reason why we took the approach that we did with Driver, with the speaking that I'm doing, and with the blog, is that if an organization can tell their story more effectively, they'll be answering questions to potential job seekers that they didn't know they had. Mm. Right? If, and, and so and I think that the best piece of advice that I've ever given when it comes to recruiting, and I think the best question that we can actually ask recruiters is, can I have a 30-minute conversation with somebody who's already in my position? Yeah. 
Okay. Because if we can understand what life they're able to live, how many times they've left the country in the past year, what they do on the weekend, what their family status is in terms of whether they have kids or not, or a wife or a spouse, what sports they play on the weekend, what their favorite TV shows are, how many hours overtime they worked in the past year, then we can start to understand what that work experience is, pair that with the job description and what the HR managers had to say, and I think we can start to understand if that's a better fit for us. Okay. Sure, it might take half an hour longer, but think, if we know that it's not a good fit for us before getting into that next meeting, we're going to save tons of dollars, tons of time, and a lot of resources to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And from what one of the analogies you gave earlier was uh, bringing in a Toyota, turning it into yeah. a Ferrari. Well, I mean, that's what an engineering firm that I talked to, you to he's, he said that their training and recruiting was uh, $250,000 per person. Yeah. And that was the analogy. He said, we watch Toyotas drive into our garage, we tune them up and watch a Ferrari leave 18 months later because we realized that it wasn't a good cultural fit. Got it. Okay. What I was thinking was even as an opportunity, yeah. you have this workforce that wants to work, yeah. that wants to be challenged, that wants to be aligned with a company that meets their values. Right. You have an opportunity as an employer, as a management team, as a company yeah. to get somebody that's moldable. Yeah. And if you find the right person ahead of time, you could keep them in your organization for a long time. Right. And, and teach them the values, the culture, the systems, the processes that you want. Again, that might not happen with everybody. Right. But, but knowing how these people who are moldable, who are keen, are going to actually interact with the people in the workplace as well, and how the people are going to work with them is, is, is really important. Well, you have to, you have to drop them in. You can't yeah. blow the whole thing up. Exactly. So, awesome. Uh, final question. How can people get a hold of you? Oh, uh, the social media is for sure. LinkedIn is probably the best one for me, uh, first and last name. Um, Twitter, is, Twitter is a good one. Um, I'm not really active on, on much else. Facebook, I suppose, a little bit. But, um, I mean, feel free to reach out, uh, drop an email, too. I'm sure the information will be available and just happy to have these conversations. Perfect. And check you out at the Speakers Bureau Speakers if they want Bureau, to get you yeah. to come in. <laughs> and he loves taking planes, so I'm trying to, you know, yeah, right, right. get him out there. Be wherever you are. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. And check out the book, Rethink Work, coming out February 20th on Amazon. And check it out at your local retailer. So thanks a lot, Eric. <laughs> cool. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Chat with you soon. All right. Bye, guys.